Final ring, here I go. Welcome to The Final Ring, a podcast about competitive Apex Legends. I'm here with my co-host Zoro and our guest star Marianas. How are you guys doing tonight? And Mari, would you like to introduce a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, so yeah, I'm Mari uh, for short. And I have been in the scene quite some time now. Um, some people would remember maybe from the old T1 Apex days. Um, when that server first formed, uh, I was actually one of the first people in it and got involved that way, got involved in hosting scrims, hosting tournaments, and just involved in the competitive scene in general. And I actually used to compete for a period of time too. And now I'm old. So I'm washed. <laughs> what was your highest placement? In, uh, competitive? In LGS, yeah. Uh, so my old team actually was a finalist in OT6. Um, where we were pretty proud of uh, making it that far. The semifinals lobby we made it through was pretty challenging. Um, teams like CLG, Energy, uh, Godsent, et cetera, were all in the semifinals lobby that we had to work our way through. Finals, yeah, they didn't quite go as well as the semifinals, but we had fun doing it. So <laughs> Nice. The Stink Boys, let me tell you, they... The caustic players, the man, come on. NA, we were, caustic, I don't know. We were running caustic before it was cool, okay? Yeah, I, I feel that. It's coming back, right? With the with the buff, potential buff? Yeah, it's it's almost more like a rework, I think, than a buff. But yeah, it's caustic kind of like... Meta, yeah, let's kind go. Of. It's, shifting the, it's shifting it to more of having an initial, like, immediate danger rather than a prolonged like area of denial so it's kind of it's kind of a rework in a way it's gonna be interesting to see how uh players use them for sure yeah we're actually gonna see how seer fits into the meta too that's true there's gonna be a lot of meta changes it'll be interesting to see next week when things shift around very excited very excited hopefully everybody starts uh taking scrims a little bit more serious starts scrimming again and uh, you know we can start seeing some of those um, meta changes, those comp changes. See how everything works out. I think with the announcement of ALGS, um, we're likely to see some more people get involved in scrims too. For that reason, for sure. And all those, you know, uh, well, first off, just the announcement of ALGS in general. You know, you got the uh, you got the pro league now. You got the um, you know the open competitions. The the playoffs and then the final championship and i think the total is what five million dollars on the line i think so yeah five million dollars and it starts registration opens on the 18th which is actually coming up pretty soon the 18th qualifiers of, of august what? of august wow i thought it was yep. i thought it was september uh well, I gotta that's when the first together. that's when the first qualifier is it's september 11th to the 13th gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. But that makes, my registration opens the 18th of August. So that's coming up quick. So get, get your ready. together. Get ready. Yep. We gotta yeah, absolutely. Start farming. I mean, with the additional like countries that they just added, I think that, you know, we'll see maybe some new talent that hasn't had the opportunity to, I guess, show an ALGS, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. Um, a lot of countries actually got added 
this uh, this go around with ALGS, which is good for the scene overall. You know, more competitors in general. So, um, looks like ten to fifteen somewhere in that range, maybe even more. Sixteen, yeah. yeah. Not not yeah, even to say it. like the whole um, allowing console to play as well. And yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> it's it's gonna be. I mean. They do have that point for aim assist, so they got a little bit of a nerf to compete. But that being said, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what type of players come from console. Like, are there going to be some any insane, you know, controller scrimmers that are just going to come in and dominate, do you think? Or is it just going to be like, you know, for the most part, it's going to be a, a an absolute slide from PC. Like, PC is just going to roll down. <laughs> I don't think it'll change too much. I'm sure there will be some teams that come over from console that are pretty highly skilled and competitive with the PC players. But I think at this point, a lot of the console players that wanted to, that were highly competitive, have already switched over. Like, if you have the drive to compete, you will kind of would have already switched over. Yeah. Yeah, for the sure. The only limiting factor being, like, finances uh, if you're young or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say finances are actually a pretty big factor. Not even just if you're young, but there's people who are in their adulthood but maybe they haven't gotten fully settled into a career yet but they're still living on their own right and rent is tight and bills are tight and a console's just a lot more accessible price range wise than an actual gaming pc for the most part certainly one at a competitive level anyways um, right so the price point of consoles being on average around five six hundred dollars not Barring, of course, the whole fiasco with scalpers and all of that, you know, um, but uh, the the price point being that much lower, you know, your average gaming PC is twelve hundred to two grand, somewhere in mm -hmm. that range. Depending so, on like what parts you get as well. Like, mm -hmm. you if you go for just like a base build that will be able to play, you know, maybe at like seventy, eighty, possibly ninety FPS, you're looking at maybe a nine hundred to a thousand dollar PC right there. But yep. if you want to like stream, if you want to do any of that stuff, you're looking at, you know, 1500 to two grand easily. Two grand. Yeah. yeah, definitely two grand. I mean, I even know like mine, I can stream on it, but I have to run lower settings. And it was, I mean, it's a little older now, but it was over two grand when it was built. Yeah. Um, you know, Plus right now, graphics cards are stupid expensive. Absolutely well, insane. That's true too. <laughs> But that brings back the point of there might be people who are interested in competing in the ALGS that will take advantage of this console announcement. Not that it hasn't had its own uh, concerns, you know, yeah. but I think the point four does help. Um, I think people were concerned with integrity with strike packs, though, which I... I, yeah, I was just going to talk about that, too. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because, you know... There's even people on PC who, you know, play on controller that were presumably strike packing in the competitive scene. You know what I mean? And yeah, and I, that's a good point. How easy is it to detect? I don't know if you know the answer to this while you're on that It's roll not easy. I, I don't easy. think it's I don't think it's easy at all. I think that like In fact it's virtually impossible to detect strike packs because it mimics hardware input. Exactly. I just I don't you know, it's it's one of those things that's like if it's so hard to detect, then the only way to really stop it from competing would be a LAN. And, like, then let's say, 
hypothetically, a console team makes it to LAN, are they going to go to LAN and play on a console? I think they'll be playing on a PC. So already they're going to have that. They're not used to playing on, you know, either more FPS or this, that, the other. And I think they'll struggle struggle on LAN if they do uh, eventually make it. That could be. Yeah, um, and I think that'll be the case maybe for like the first couple of lands. But once the players that are really dedicated to playing competitively have a few tournaments on their belt, I think there'll be more e- more even playing field in that regard. I think the thing too there though, yeah, they make it to land, but did they make it there with a strike pack? And that brings back the integrity question, right? I mean, even yeah. if even if they make it there and then they get washed because they are no longer using that advantage. Um you know how many teams got pushed out that maybe could have made it or should have made it because of the unfair advantage right and i think i don't think people realize just how common and accessible strike packs really are i mean you have to download some sketchy stuff to make them work right but from my understanding anyways um but i mean gamestop is selling them for under 40 dollars and advertising it (laughs) and they advertise apex legends in their sale for strike packs, they've got videos of they people do. using them. And it literally says things like anti-recoil in the advertisement. So they know they're basically selling a cheat, right? But nothing's done about it. Um, and I don't know how much can be done, frankly, you know, because it's it's kind of such a gray area. There's no rule set around it yet. And uh, I think that's why people are concerned with the integrity of console being included because it's just it's not that the controller player on pc can't use them right it's just much more prevalent in the uh console console, yeah yeah and with that volume of controllers moving over it's bound to have a higher number of strike pack users Mm -hmm. also just by virtue of volume Mm -hmm. yeah and that's kind of tough it's actually really tough to deal with especially when apex is in a point where cheaters are kind of running the game like how many people do you see just not even playing ranked anymore and it's it's like how do you justify bringing that into like a competitive controlled competitive scene well i mean this this might be like a hot take we're starting the hot takes early Um, (laughs) hot take (laughs) nice let's go i mean if you look at like you know let's say the recent apex patch right all the Apex professional players are complaining about Bloodhound being a, you know, information character where you literally get wall hacks, right? What do they do? <laughs> they add Seer, another wall hack character. You know, they're, the the butterflies or whatever go and scan people through the walls. I know we haven't seen them, like, fully yet. This is probably, like, completely misunderstood. But, like, you know, we complained about an LMG completely ruining the meta. Spitfire, right? What do they do? They add another LMG that does 28 body damage. It's like 42 headshot a, damage. They added a wingman. Let's be honest. <laughs> I just, well, I think, though, a couple of things. First, there was a tweet from a respawn developer um, that stated that Sears' ability, while it will go through walls, it's not a cone. It's not going to get like yes. a wide area. It's like a targeted location did it did either of you watch the gameplay trailer the sierra's gameplay trailer uh, I don't uh know. it came no. out today i think i know i probably so, should have done that in advance of in, <laughs> in the trailer they show seer adsing and there's literally arrows pointing to where the enemies are in his site so i, I think i read the same tweet that mari said uh, it was talking about 
They said that, um, like Sears Silence, another thing that we've been complaining about, right? Revenant Silence, yeah, terrible, whatever. Sears quote unquote silence or to stop res or healing only lasts for a second. It's more or less to. It's like an interrupt. Yeah, it's more like an interrupt to say like, nope, no battery for you type of type of deal. I think. Yeah. But and like I get how that can be. I don't know. I can see that being a just an absolute pain. Just imagine you're like three quarters of the way through a battery and you get hit with a CRQ. Like you're screwed. And then you're and just like, well, that's unlucky. And it, it's unlucky. And like, what if that seer is a third party? Like, and it's going to be, they're going to be octane searing into you. They're going to octane sear every rev. time. Every yeah. time. Every time. Well, I mean, it is what it is though, right? And yeah. competitors that want to take part in the ALGS are going to have to deal with these meta shifts. That's just the reality of it. Like yeah. you can complain till you're blue in the face about it, but at the end of the day, you either adapt to it or you're the one sitting out watching people in the finals. Or you're you know? tired, become a coach right. and host a podcast. That's true too. Hey. <laughs> um, but I mean, even, you know, we briefly mentioned like my old team made it right. Well, we yeah. used caustic. I think we were the only team in NA certainly the only one that made it to the finals, but I think even right. the only one that made it to semis um, using caustic. Was that, that the, was that the point when, when a EU had started using caustic? I think EU Already? had started doing it in the yeah. same ALGS that we did. Yeah. Okay. Um, we honestly, frankly, we were doing it because people were kind of aping lower, um, lower level rounds. So like quarters and like the round of 160. Yeah. And we just wanted Watson and Caustic so people would stop aping us. That's literally why we did it. But no one knew how to counter it because they, they weren't used to it, right? And uh, I think in talking about LGS, there's a lot of complaint about meta shifting from the pros. But at the end of the day, we knocked out several pro teams just because we tried something new, you know? Yeah. And no one knew how to yeah. play against it. And I think with Seer coming in, to this ALGS, all of these people that compete at a high level are going to have to adapt. Right. I mean, there was a time, there was a time when I competed, uh, I I think it was like maybe a a full ALGS before the one that you guys made to the finals, um, with Gobble and Yo-Yo, where we played Caustic for like a week. And that week, we were absolutely like a menace on NA scrims, right? We were, you know, playing super aggressive caustic. And if you were sitting in a building, we'd throw one trap, it'd instantly pop, and you could do nothing about it. We took your building. And, you know, the, the team didn't exactly work out for whatever reason, but, you know, that the fact that there's so much untapped potential with these characters that could, you know, completely shift the meta, in my opinion. It's, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's kind of crazy. It is crazy. And I think... Um, what I was going to say is still relevant. And I think that that's a problem with NA in general is the general inflexibility of comp. You see like a vast majority of teams playing the same three legends. Yeah. Whereas like EU and um, APAC, they're always playing different stuff. They're trying new things out in competitive environments. And mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be a really huge benefit when lands come around or when cross region lands come around. That being said, though, I feel like NA has a really, really, really aggressive play style, right? Like, if you watch an NA tournament, you know, there are teams that will, like, solely base their majority of the points in the tournament off of kills. And 
the only way to stop them from just completely aping and running your team is with a Gibby. So Gibby is like a must-have, right? And at that point, you have to have a movement character, a mobility character, which is why, you know, Wraith or Octane is just an absolute necessity. And then it's like that third character, well, if you need to go port out quick or you need to find somewhere to go, that Bloodhound scan is is needed as well. Like It is and it isn't, though. I think... I think there's, for starters, there are a lot of teams that do get a lot of kills, but that also has rarely worked out into the favor of the teams that actually win overall, right? Though they might consistently make finals, like, um, you know, think about how many times um, Complexity was advancing through on kill points, but it didn't always net them the highest placement. They did have a really good ALGS run. a bit ago, but it didn't always net them that highest placement, right? Because a lot of yeah. teams are able to punish that. And I think from the standpoint of uh, your average viewer, the thing to understand is that, yeah, these teams are looking awesome running around killing all these people, but all those other teams are just as skilled too. And they will punish you for playing like that. You know, if you're caught out of position, if you're caught in an open field, you're going to get blasted because they can all aim just as well. So but it'll be interesting to see, you know, if people will shake that meta up. I think especially now, kind of tying this back into the announcement of ALGS with the um, restriction of one squad per org. Um, I think that's yeah. going to make getting an org a little bit more competitive. And I think people might be willing to take more risks to try to get that advantage and get that one up so that they can perform better and get onto an org spot because, you know, energy could have had five squads before. Right. And so there's, mm-hmm. a, it's not quite as competitive from the player standpoint, you know? Right. Well, for example, Kangarna. Yeah. Kangarna is a good example there as well. You know, one EU team, one NA team, you know, the EU team performed very well and has been performing very well and consistently, but, the NA team just won, you know, the ALGS, yeah, just won mm-hmm. finals over here. The champs, yeah. So it's like, how do you how do you decide which team to keep? I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes about. And you know, based off that, are they gonna be requiring all three teammates to be assigned to the same org? And if that happens, how is, you know, Abrilelli going to compete with C9? Is he going to, you know, leave TSM? Is that not going to work? Is, is you know, is Noct going to come back? I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's one of those things that's like, how much will this affect it? I think it's good overall, though, um, in the long term. I think the timing of it's a little bit weird, um, but I think they... The way they design ALGS, they didn't have a choice except to implement it now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, kind of it's a little weird, but at the same time, when else would you implement it? Between ALGS seasons. Is right. And that's good. Yeah. And that's why I think they had to implement it now is because it's between seasons and the seasons run for such a long period of time. But right. I think. Because yeah, this one ends in what, like June of next year or something in July? Yeah, July of next year. Yeah, it's basically it's like a almost a year long. It's like eight or nine months long type of uh, ordeal when you count in registration and the time, you know, all yeah. dedicated to it. Um, but at the end of the day, right, this change only really serves to hurt 
players, but everybody else benefits. Orgs overall benefit from it because then smaller orgs, up and coming orgs, can actually go for a competitive roster instead of seeing a giant org with a ton of money to throw around just signing five of the best All teams. teams yeah yeah so it, it benefits orgs in that regard it makes it so that player contracts and buyouts are more competitive um it's you know overall uh better for sponsorship too um and kind of using Aubrey as an example again you know if he's hypothetically sponsored by cheetos and c9 is sponsored by Cheez-Its and they want a Cheetos sponsorship, why would Cheetos ever give it to them? Because Alb's already playing on their team. They're already yeah. getting free advertisement, right? So their Cheetos is double dipping. They've got TSM and right. they've got C9 now. So from a sponsorship standpoint, it's better for the two for one too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of drama around the Alb thing too with C9. And I think... Well, the the this change will kind of prevent things like that from happening in the first place um because roster changes are common anyways you know you compare esports to real sports right player trades in hockey player trades in football that stuff happens frequently it's just part of the job i but think that something that a lot of people like don't understand whether that's in the casual community or you know people who haven't you know competed at a at a high level it's like Yes, what happened was, you know, kind of unfortunate, whatever, right? But at the end of the day, it's what happens. You know what I mean? It's a job. And if you think that you will have better, I guess, standings with, let's say, a different, um, like a different member on your team or a, a different, you know, person doing that job, then you're more likely to take it, right? And, you know, as much as, like, Noct got, you know, screwed over, blah, 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 blah. It's, like, I'm sure he understands. Like, it's it's part of the game. It's what happens. Yeah, I, I, that's true. And that's kind of, you know, as I said, when you compare it to, like, let's just even, I, I'll just use hockey as an example because I know more about it than any other sport. You know, player trades happen all the time leading up to the playoffs, right? Especially between seasons, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that's when teams are developing, shifting players around. And I think this regulation with team limits, um, is really going to just cut all of the drama out of that because now player trades are still going to happen. That's not going to change. Right. But it's going to be because of their contracts and an org maybe buying out a player or something. And so there's not going to be that personal drama attached to it anymore. It's not, well, Albert Laley did this well, to I disagree. vice versa, you know, because um, it's not going to be their choice as much anymore, just like a real contract in sports, right? Mm-hmm. You don't agree, Zoro? No, I think that esports is too young for that. I think that those kind of trades are still going to happen because all it is doing is limiting the number of teams that one org can field. It's not limiting the number of teams that can play. And so there's going to be a lot more, in my opinion, free agent teams, which is going to make it more prevalent than less, in my opinion. Because the number the number of orgs is going up slowly in Apex, just not nearly as fast as it will go down with this change. Mm, that's true. 
But when you look at it, think about, uh, again, I'm just going to default to hockey again, and I'm going to use, um, and no particular reason for this team, not because I think it's the best team or anything, but let's say the Pittsburgh Penguins for no particular <laughs> reason, of course. For no particular reason, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if a player is traded from the Penguins, let's just say to the New York Islanders, right? Um, people are going to know about it because they're following those teams. And it's the same thing, like C9 and TSM are both massive orgs, right? And so right. people know about it. It's more prominent. But if you said free agent team A swapped a player to free agent team B, it's not going to get as much attention from people that aren't heavily invested in the scene already, right? I think like, the the big issue with the, the whole Albrelli and, and Knox situation was that, you know, Cloud9 just got second in a champs tournament. You know, they just got signed to Cloud9. They were fresh. They were ready to go. And it's like pretty much a week later, you know, they have a new teammate. It's somebody who is already competing with a different team. And it's like, I, I think that's why a lot of the people reacted the way they did because it happened so fast. And it was almost like a blink of an eye. And like all, all the work that Cloud9's team, quote unquote, like, you know, they, they put in to get signed and make it to finals and mm-hmm. champs is just out the window with, you know, a, a roster change at that point. And, you know, nothing against Mac, but I think that him saying that he wanted to take a break and then announcing that he's going to compete with a yeah, different that team. stuck to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand why, right? Like, if he was going to take a break... And then somebody DM'd him with a better opportunity. Of course, you're going to take that, right? And you're not thinking about the people involved or anything like that. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I love Mac. I love Elb. Dude is absolutely insane player. Arguably one of the best mechanically, right? He he deserves to be at the top with whatever team he can, you know, can compete with. And... I, I just think people were, were caught off guard by him saying, hey, guys, I'm going to take a little break from Apex. You know, it's not really working out for me. And then right after saying, oh, I guess I'm going to compete with Cloud9. And, and yeah, within well, like very, very. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, so he had been hinting like it wasn't as fast as it seemed like. Like he had been talking about taking a break for a while. Anyone that actually was like, I mean, yeah, in his stream. Well, yeah, but that even strengthens the point. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't, because I think what's the the part that's missing from people that haven't competed, especially at that level. And I honestly like wouldn't even put myself in that spot, even though like I competed for a while and did make the finals. Like it's not the same thing as what he's going through. Like, and nobody, like just because you've competed once, even if you've made finals once, that doesn't compare to the amount of pressure and the amount of spotlight that is on someone like Alberlele, that is on someone like Zach, right? Like these tier one teams, it's again, I'm just to liken it to hockey. Like if you're watching the Stanley cup finals, that's basically the ALGS, you know, grand finals, right? They're under such an enormous spotlight and under such immense pressure. And you have to understand that these people, they're on average anyways, younger, right? This is their career that they started out of high school, during high school, out of college, you know, uh, 
maturity goes a long way in life when it comes to handling pressure and you don't have time to really develop that. And this isn't, I I don't want to say that being young is a problem. I'm not trying to go down that road at all. What I'm saying though, is like, you could be just your average high school student, right? Nothing special. You happen to get good at a game. All of a sudden you're signed and now you're on stage with the spotlight on you with hundreds of thousands of people's with opinions on you. You know what I mean? Like, it's a huge jump that you just don't have time in life to prepare for. And everyone's going to process that and handle it differently, you yeah. know? And I think that's something that kind of gets left out of all of the opinions on the Alberlele and Noct thing is not realizing that, yeah, Hey, they're pros, but they're human too. And they were literally just tossed into a scene with a ton of pressure and whatnot on them. Like snipe down might be, um, an exception to that because he's competed before like this isn't his first scene right but to anyone coming into apex and it's their first scene or or the first scene that they really got recognized in it's going to be a new experience for them too i think with snipe down specifically that you know like you said this isn't the first time he's competed so he's had time to kind of learn and kind of figure out how to deal with that that pressure you were talking about where you know he no longer either you know cares what other people think or blah 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 he he deals with it in his own way and you know that's something that you don't see out of you know people who are competing for the first time this is the first game they're competing and this is the first time they've ever had you know this amount of lack of a better word clout right this many eyes on them at one time to you know deciding their every move or, or judging their every move per se and you know i think you're 100 percent right with that i think that i i feel like that's something in the gaming community or the gaming scene that a lot of people look over is that everybody is human right look at the even the devs right <laughs> this, this can or transferring to a different whole topic but you know <laughs> People sit there and curse out devs for not putting updates out. They sit there and be like, you know, you guys are absolutely lazy, blah, blah, blah. We hate you. Why don't you do this? But it's like, it's it's only their job at the end of the day, right? They still have a life outside of their job. They still have, you know, stuff going on in their life that could hinder them from doing, they're also, you know, that stuff. They're also just employees, right? Yeah. Like, they're at the end of the day, they're not really the main decision makers. Like, some of them are like the lead designers and lead balancers and so on, they have a say, but at the end of the day, they have to answer to EA and EA management. And I know that some of the devs have said that EA lets them have pretty, or lets Respawn have a pretty wide berth in terms of what they want to do with the game. But, I mean, again, Respawn management is still kind of the level above the the developers and that's something that people, I think, fail to take into account as well. Well, you know, the, the frankly, this is really off topic too. So I'll make this short so we can get back on topic because this was about the LGS announcement originally. No, don't worry but, about it. Um, you know, frankly, anonymity just has a part to play in that too. People take out their frustrations in unhealthy ways on the internet because they think that they can, and people won't find out who they are for the most part. I mean, look at all, most of the hot takes are really toxic things are being said by Steve one, two, three, four, five. It's obviously not a real account. Right. So like, Someone think about people, full effect. 
Yeah, and think yeah. about people like um, Ellie uh, Newlands, that's the, the voice actor for Horizon. Like, she posts stuff up about Apex all the time. She's excited about it. Super nice person, super amazing personality. She's always like her content's phenomenal, and it's always super wholesome. But you still get people bashing her. Like the state of the game's her fault. Like she's not yeah. even a developer. You know what I mean? She's literally not yeah. even a developer, but she still gets flack for it. And I think it's that toxic anonymity that comes with being online that just allows that to occur and there's not really a good solution to it i don't if there is i don't know what well, it is but it's yeah it's not simple there's whole behavior science behavioral science fields developed they're design, designated to studying online conduct and stuff like that it's the whole field <laughs> there's no easy solution and i feel like it's not just uh horizons voice actor i feel like it's all the voice actors that mm-hmm. uh like i guess make content publicly or i guess you know like I see a lot of uh the Lifeline voice actor I I don't know her name exactly but you know every time I see her on my TikTok or my Twitter or whatever it's the exact same thing everybody's just saying you know Lifeline's in a terrible state in Apex Legends when is she getting a buff it's like all she <laughs> did she know? <laughs> all she did was like you know get the voice lines and voice act for this for this in-game character and you're expecting her to be able to make balancing changes and, you know, give you an heirloom. Like, huh? That just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I just, I'll, I'll never understand it in all reality. It's insane to me. No, I completely, completely agree with you. And I don't know. You know, there's a lot of times where misplaced blame finds its way onto whoever. And, like, you know, this is going to be a kind of a sharp right turn, but. I know that Battleport or a T1 Apex got a lot of flack sometimes for nothing for things that we couldn't control. Also, mm-hmm. uh, when we used to host scrims, and even now, um, I know we still get people in the in the Discord being like, "Hey, how do I get this fixed in the game?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man. Yeah, <laughs> Contact we, EA Help." <laughs> we literally have EA Help website spammed all over our server. Um, because people will just come to us and say, hey, I got banned in game. It's like, great, you're getting banned here now, too, because we don't want cheaters in our <laughs> Discord. <you know? laughs> the, it's, people think for some reason, and I and I know that the, the main play Apex Discord gets us, too. I know the mods deal with it there, too, because we've talked extensively just in the past, just, you know, working together on different things and just kind of being a general community, you know, community leaders, right. um, they deal with it too, right? It, for whatever reason, people think these discords are support. And they, what it boils down to is they're not getting the results they want quick enough, right? right. They don't want to go through the help website because then they have to wait for a response and they might not get the response they like. So then they take to the other social media, Discord, Reddit, Twitter, and complain and groan mm-hmm. hoping to get the attention of someone that's going to give them what they want. And sometimes it works. Like we just saw that situation on Reddit not long ago where somebody posted up a complaint about getting banned for something that wouldn't really be permanent ban worthy, like maybe a suspension at most. Right. And then the developer looked into it and they were actually banned for saying homophobic slurs. You know, oh, yeah. and yeah. um, and that's just the reality of it. I mean, I can't count the number of times where 
people have come into our Discord saying, well, hey, we're we're trying to get a hold of VA Respawn. Can you unban my account? I got banned for no reason. And then I'll, I've, I've humored a few of them when they open mod mail tickets. You know, well, what did you do to get yourself banned? Like, I, I was playing with this guy and I didn't know he was cheating. So, okay, well, Clearly yeah, you, you played, you played with him the whole way up to masters and you didn't know he was cheating sure okay you got boosted right or whatever the case may be and um yeah that misplaced blame happens a lot kind of coming full circle on that you know and i think that kind of not to veer off of your right turn onto that side of things because i know that's one of the topics we were starting to dabble into as well but i think that misplaced blame comes back a lot with the c9 and uh liquid thing you know and uh knocked and albin tsm and that all playing together like there are bystanders in that situation that were just getting absolutely roasted for something that ultimately was just a couple people's decision you know and uh i, I don't know I again think... it's that anonymity on the internet you know people can say whatever they want or feel like they can say whatever they want with limited repercussion I feel like another good example of, I guess, people, you know, looking for, like, instead of taking the time to go through AA help or whatever is, you remember a long time ago when Lulu got a cheater banned live on stream because she said, this guy's cheating and hideouts banned him. And then that person who was banned was a bloodhound and he went to Reddit and was like, I was banned because Lulu told Lulu a dev to I ban me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like all the entire you know casual Apex community started sending like death threats and everything to Lulu, who all she did was said that this person could be cheating, right? She had nothing to do outside of that, and you know she was getting death threats. She was like, I don't want to stream, blah 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 blah, and it's like, well, then respawn just came out and full said, no, he was cheating. Here's the proof, and and went you know he said. Lulu was 100% right, and um, Hideouts banned him because he had proof of him cheating. And then, you know, that Bloodhound just kind of shut up, and the whole casual community kind of shut up. They didn't say sorry. They didn't hold him accountable or anything like that. It's like they get this riot mentality almost to where it's like... Mm -hmm. Well, it's the anonymity thing again. Like, they feel like they can't do that because no one knows really who anyone is. It's just, they're just, you're just a name on a screen. You have no no accountability for what you're saying or doing. Well, and it's also part of just culture right now in general. Um, you know, people want to rally behind a cause and there are definitely good causes to rally behind, but that mentality is still there, rally behind cause, right? And that's just society as a whole. So what ends up happening here is now people don't necessarily feel empowered in their daily lives, but they have a voice on Reddit and they have a voice on discord and they have a voice on Twitter. And some people use that to do good. And some people spread positive messages and messages that support underprivileged people. And some people use that anonymity and platform that they have to spread toxicness that they can't get out in their real life. Maybe they're having a really bad year at work. Maybe their marriage just fell apart, whatever. 
and they don't have an outlet for it. So now all of a sudden, the same platform that can be used for so much good is used as a negative outlet. And here now Lulu and hideouts get all those threats and whatnot. And it's always death threats too, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I see this all the time. This happened back, um, and this is this is for real old folk in the scene, but uh, <laughs> there was a period of time where um, Tech, his team, uh, contested TSM in Capital City, and uh, or Fragment. It may have been at the time. It was East Fragment. That's not even that old. That was like right before that, Champ. Yeah, that wasn't that old. That, that was literally <laughs> no, like that was that was a uh, lot longer ago that, than you think it is. That was that was probably what six months ago, maybe. Not even. Was, yeah, maybe uh, six months. No, because no. I think it was two ALGSs back. It was and it was a boomer, while ago. Boomer, boomer memories just melted on. Uh, no, 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 no. It was it was it was. I'm not saying it was like ancient history. I'm just saying it's a lot longer ago in the life of the game. It right, was it current. was Fraggies, okay. and they they contested TSM, and this was when TSM was on what a five win streak. Like they won five, five win in streak. A row. This yeah, they contested their six, TSM they every game. Right. Anyway, grief them, the, whatever you want to say, and you know that's in, in uh, reality it could be a smart game plan, right? Contesting griefing, not griefing, contesting someone. Um, for a drop spot or whatever, it, it, on theory, in theory, is a good or not a good idea, but it can be a good game plan. It's like it's like extent. it's like saying you're playing the long con, you know, because if you can test them for an entire tournament, the fear is that you're going to do it in the next tournament, so maybe you get the landing spot the next like three tournaments or whatever. And so it can be a valid game strategy, just not for that tournament. <laughs> but Maybe. You know. I mean, there's there's a lot of layers to that and that's not where i was going with this anyways but my point was back then uh when that happened a lot of people that were fans of tsm were enraged and i just kind of bring this back to T it was t1 apex at the time we hadn't become Battlecord yet uh, there were death threats in our general chat of people tagging tech saying you shouldn't have done that you're a dead man and like stuff like that. That's a quote, by the way, please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's a literally a quote from somebody that I had yeah. to ban from the server. And, um, you know, like people, again, it's this, this weird hive mentality where people just get outraged on behalf of somebody else. A lot of times for the wrong reason. And, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but you know. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and say, if Tech didn't contest TSM, TSM would still be on top right now, winning every single tournament. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Absolutely. no shot. Nothing else changes. It's all Tech's fault. No, no I'm, I'm just kidding. In, in reality, like you know, my head's not big enough for that size cap. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I put it under hot take number two, Colin. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Hot take number two. I like it. I mean, there's a lot of things yeah. in the Apex community that, like, if if one thing changed, it it I feel like would have that you know snowball effect or whatever, where it could drastically change, yeah, the outcome of how Apex worked. And you know, for mm -hmm. example, what if you know Tier One Apex wasn't a thing? What if you know, the scrims back then wasn't a thing. What if GLL never hosted scrims and it was still up to, you know, just the public eye to keep scrims going? Um, you know, 
who would be in charge of that? Obviously, Battlecourt. <clears throat> Just saying. Um, <laughs> and it's like, what? How would that have affected the? I guess competitive integrity of at, at least in my opinion na right because NNA right. we never see anybody scrim anymore mm, yeah there's a lot of layers to that that's a really that's an interesting topic to bring up because there's a lot of lot of layers to that especially like i know zora worked with me in uh t1 and uh now Battlecourt for a long time and then as i said i was there the day the server was made um actually within like an hour is in the first like hundred people in there because it was actually funny. Uh, so before T1 was uh, a server called Apex.pro. Um, yep. And <laughs> I remember that. There was, that. There was a <laughs> management disagreement, we'll say, among the people that were running that. Was, that. that was so, a good diplomatic way to put that. Yep. And it's going to stay that way while I'm on public <laughs> record. Um, so there was a management disagreement. It really boiled down to money, right? Part of the part of the crew wanted to monetize it. The other part didn't want to monetize it. They wanted to keep it free um, and volunteer. And that's that was really one of the biggest things. There's obviously layers to that too, but that's not my place to discuss. Um, certainly not here. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, T1 Apex was born, um, and at the time it was Q Snipes, right? I, I think um, for was, people that yeah. have joined since ALGS has begun they haven't played the game in a period of time where custom lobbies and custom codes didn't exist, but that's what it was back then. Everyone got on the same server. Um, I know for T1, we specifically used Iowa GCE two or four a lot. (laughs) Um, Those, those were very popular. We used uh, Dallas a lot too, because it's central. We tried to keep it central when we could uh, barring tech issues. And then for EU, it was always London or Amsterdam. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a different era, right? There was no competition outside of, there was like X games and there was the Poland invitational. And then there was, um, a couple of like one-off type of kill race events. Um, but, uh, overall, all there was, was Q snipes. And so I think. And this is kind of going to bring up a little hot topic that I'll try to stay away from. But skill-based matchmaking has actually been in the game for quite some time, too. And that's how these Q-snipes worked, um, is because of skill-based matchmaking. Uh, It's always existed. Um, It just became a more recent complaint, you know, by, frankly, mostly by content creators that want to farm noobs. Um, (laughs) And I get it. I, I do get it. You know, ranked exists for a reason. Competitive exists for a reason. I shouldn't have to try hard all the time if i just want to relax i should be able to but th- there's that's a whole nother topic i mean um the back back when the q snipe days um mm-hmm. there was no ranked you know what i mean the entirety of q snipe competitive was solely based off of you know passion for the game and mm-hmm. i think that's something that is, is different now you know what i mean you have these players that are insanely good at the game but don't really have any passion to continue competing and that's where that whole skill-based matchmaking complaint comes in because they just want to not not say get easy content but they don't want to sit there and and try their absolute hardest to they don't want to sweat eight hours a day if they don't yeah, want to. <laughs> to to, to right. stream on twitch and it's like that 
I, I think that has a big part in, you know, the lack of, I guess, scrim commitment and the lack of everything from at least the NA point is, like, just mm. the, the lack of passion almost. I agree and I disagree with that. A passion is definitely a factor, and I think that's always going to be um, a factor in any competitive setting, frankly, especially when you're looking at the development of it, right? Because that's what this was. The Q-Snipe scrims were early development, and then you got into customs, and those were scrims, and that was so early development. Then you got ALGS, and everyone was excited because it was new. The newness is gone now. It's, yeah. it's old news. So you're always going to have people that burn out or people that don't make it and they need to focus on other things in life. I think that part's true. Um, but I think how that ties in, I think it's about opportunity too, in a way. You know, before with Q-Snipes, it was open. Anyone could get in. Anyone could show up, sign up, jump in. There wasn't even really a sign up, you know, at least when we were running it um, through T1, it, we had a bot that you would create a team through the bot and register your players and then you would do the q snipe right and it was the last uh Lastly, five letters the last five letters of the champions uh, of name. the champion's name and that's how you the bot knew what lobby you were in and it would count so if there was too many it wouldn't give you too many points like if 21 people put it in obviously there's only 20 teams per lobby um you know so it would count and keep track and the thing is, right, there, that that's all there was. There was no other opportunity to compete outside of those Q-snipes. Um, and and then, we had a scoring system. And I think what a lot of people probably don't know, because most people wouldn't have had access to it, other than the people that really competed and tried. Um, but there was a private server as yo, well. I was just about to say that if you, you know, performed really well in the open or the public, um, like Q-Snipes. Private queues. You could get private queues. And that was like one of those things where that really separated. And I guess that was a clear path on how to compete at at a higher level, right? Which is yeah. something I feel like is missing now. That's um, true. I, I agree completely. It is missing now. Um and I think that's where the passion died, kind of coming back to that. I think right there is the perfect example of why people's passion may have died, because there, it feels like there's a wall in front of them. And so before when we did it that way, there was a clear path forward and there was a, a prize at the end of it. And I think still some of that was still the newness and the excitement of the game, too. Um, I think some of that was still a factor, but. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, if you became the top two or whatever that placed in the NA or EU scrims, you got invited to private Apex. And that was filled with basically it was just the admins. So it was just uh, me, Bozy, typical, uh, swirly, swirly yeah. and uh, Gnostics, and then uh, Battalion. And that was filled with all of the pros. Yeah, it was filled with CLG and TSM and, you know, name, throw your three-letter acronym out there. They were in there, right? And then it was filled with the top-placing Tier 2 teams, basically, the ones that could compete up through our ladder system and get the invite. And it was a clear path forward. And then um, I remember GLL hosted a kill race, and a lot of people took part in it, and there was a lot of... I'm going to use the term mixed reviews 
controversy yeah yeah, yeah. Mixed reviews on that and i think i think kill races are always tough for competition anyways to be honest if you really want fair competition kill races just have far too many variables they just do Way did you get an easier RNG. lobby is there too much rng right it's someone playing on a server they're not supposed to is a team more stacked than another one for that type of gameplay like it's well, i've also seen people like tank their games before the tournament to better mmr or spmm for the i mean yeah kill race i will say that um i i know some people who did that know them very well and you know gll at the time in the rule set didn't say that you couldn't use an alt they just said you have to be over level 100 or whatever it was and you had to you know have a certain amount of hours played on the account well they didn't say that you could go on an account that was let's say you know level 50 with a, a 5 kd for example and sit there and drop and die every single game until you're level 100 so you have like a point eight KD at that point to get easier lobbies. They didn't say you couldn't do that. And there were people that went to do that. And then I think at the right before the actual kill race event, GLO was like, no no no, sorry, you can't do that. But you know that that's what happened. That's what people did to get yeah. easier lobbies. And mm -hmm. I think Well, there was a bug too. And not ever not for the oh, GLO yeah. corner, but there was a that. bug that I think a lot of people may not have taken get advantage bot of or known about too to get into bot lobbies. And this was when custom codes were being alpha tested still. Yeah. Um, and even when they got to beta, it didn't get fixed. Bug lasted a while. Released. Yeah, right? it lasted yeah. a while. Um, but if you went into a custom lobby, your first game back, your MMR was completely reset to default and you would literally be playing with brand new players. Um, so a lot of people would go do scrims um, or Not go play. test customs. Yeah. And then they would either not playing at a bot lobby for a kill race, or they would use it to go get their badges, right? They would use it to go get their 20 kill badge or their 4K badge or their 10-10-10 uh, with their team. Or their um, 30 kill flex on Twitter even. Yeah. Like and, 30 bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, that happened. It would last for like two to three games before your MMR was reset. So you could just go and ruin some kids' days, you know? And uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting times before what scrims looked like in more recent history when um, GLL took over. They they actually got a deal, I think, um, some sort of deal. I don't really know much about it, and it's not my place to know about it in detail, anyway. Well, they're not but... doing it anymore, anyway. No, so well, at least not that I know of. Yeah, that's uh... they do GLL cups, and I haven't seen any scrims. So... Yeah, that's something that I can't fully answer. Whether or not I know is irrelevant. If you catch my drift, mm. um, but yeah, uh, yeah um, for a while, anyways, you know, I think the passion with scrims, kind of getting back to that topic, the passion there was that there was a clear path forward, and um, it was exciting and new. And then there was a controversy with the kill race with GLL, and then they took over um, with that deal when customs came out. And there was a lot of layers to that too. In fact, actually T1 uh, through private Apex with the pros helped test custom uh, codes when they were new. Um, bug yeah. tests, test the score sheets, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we worked directly with EA on that. Um, and then I know it wasn't just us. EA worked with a couple of other tournament hosts as well, GLL being one of them um, with customs. 
And I think the biggest thing is at the time, GLL had a website to facilitate it, right? They had a website to facilitate scrims, which is probably one of the biggest draws. And previous Um, experience with PUBG. Right. And they have history. Exactly. So they get the deal. Which, interestingly enough, was very positive history. It was. Uh, Mostly. Mostly. It it was. (laughs) It really was. I mean, mean, everyone that I talked to said that GL did a good job in PUBG and absolutely just kind of screwed up in Apex. I, I've heard the exact opposite from people really? who have competed in PUBG and went farther into, um, I guess, the gaming scene. Um, not going to name any names, not going to name any, you know, credentials, but, you know, there's people <laughs> who are, you know... I guess I'll just believe you, you know. <laughs> that, that PUBG was, you know, an absolute mess and that they were seeing the th- same thing happen with apex and you know that's a hot topic and i might get some flame for that but you know personally i i, I don't know i i feel like when when they got that private deal that you know it was really 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 messy and not very organized at this beginning and i still feel like it's not very organized to the point of you know people are signing up for scrims for the first time ever and they're getting in the high, the quote unquote high tier lobby, right? And I know right. if they're just doing GLL cups now, that that doesn't really, that doesn't really matter you know, happen matter. anymore. But you know, last time but I screamed, time. it was it yeah. was you had this quote unquote MMR that nobody knew about except GLL, and you know if you are signing Actually, up for the first time, you have you know SS rank, uh, Elo, so you're automatically in the top top tier of the you know server the game uh yes and no it wasn't quite that sloppy it wasn't good no, but wasn't, they did have a spreadsheet they did have points and they didn't yeah. release that yeah. pred- the, they didn't release the spreadsheet yes, they publicly they did yeah it's on their website for every turn yeah gotcha i mean every like, at has- the start though well no i think the disconnect wasn't necessarily uh, but there, there was a couple of disconnects, and it was for it, there was layers to it, right? First and foremost, the pros wanted exclusive scrims. That's something that they lost when Private Apex went away, yeah. right? Um, and I get that because the pros are going to be playing the pros in the finals, and eventually that did happen for them, right? Eventually, um, GLL permitted uh, lobbies specific to the teams that qualified with filler slots for other high tier teams. But it wasn't like that at the start. So there was a lot of frustration around that, I think, from the pros' perspective. And for other people's perspective, on the low end, there were so many intricate rules that like, it was jarring. For anybody that had been in the scene doing Q snipes, it was very jarring. Because people would get banned or suspended or put in low-tier lobbies for disagreeing with an admin <laughs> or Hi. saying i don't like how this is running you know, like they would just boom okay well screw you you're you're out you know and it's like the i'm not gonna say that we never barred people from scrims either because we did with t1 and the q snipes but there was usually a pretty good reason for it like they were caught boosting or they were cheating or they were saying things that were highly inappropriate you know what i mean um it wasn't hey i don't like the way this is ran maybe this would be better it's like oh you don't agree with us well 
in a week, if you come back and decide to scrim more, we'll see how your opinion stands. And it's just like, dang, that sucks. Like, yeah. So it was jarring because it was a little <laughs> bit more flexible. And I think for people to go from an environment where anyone can show up, there's an infinite number of teams to now there's a finite number of teams. And that was naturally going to happen anyways with custom codes, regardless of who took over. So that's not really on GLL, their right? Fault, that's yeah. not their right. fault. Um, but you go from X number of teams can show up uh, and that X is infinite. And then you go to 60 teams or 40 teams or 20 teams, but there's no flexibility in it. Then all of a sudden that's obviously a bit more of an issue because um you know, you've got teams that are getting banned or suspended or dropped out of a tier for whatever reason, whatever rule. And I think I think a lot of it boiled down to communication, right? There wasn't a lot of communication in, well, why am I getting suspended? Why am I getting banned? Or why can't, you know, we play on this map? Or why is this not banned, like this item, the red shield or something when it's being abused or whatever or this glitch spot the out of bounds timer thing was a huge thing for a while um you know there wasn't a lot of communication there was a lot of disconnect there up to a point and then it obviously things changed and it got a little bit better but i think that jarring effect like nobody really expected it right because we were for the longest time the scrim host so nobody was really expecting it. no one really saw it coming and then it just kind of happened so it's really jarring. So kind of coming back to passion, now all of a sudden there's gatekeeping, right? Now all of a sudden there's a wall in the way. And before it was free. Anyone could move up the ladder freely. It was literally just, did you do well? There's clear your points, how many points you got, that's what moved you up in our ladder. And that was it. It was that simple, right? There was no playing favorites, uh, at least not in, you know, I heard some stories about stuff from before my time, but since the time that I was in charge, anyways, <laughs> uh, there was no playing favorites, there was no BS. You know what I mean? It was just, um, it just your points are, dictated are you how skilled far enough you to forward. be here. Yeah. yeah. Are you? And um, and it was simple. And so the, I think all of those things coming into play with GLL kind of was jarring for people that came from the before right? It was jarring for people that came from the time before. And so even if in ALGS, if you look at the number of teams that signed up for the first ALGS and then compare it to some of the ones later on down the line, the player turnout really declined. And extensively, I would say. Like, it's I think a massive difference. part of, yeah. And part of that is because of what happened with scrims. When you think about it, because scrims were um finding ways to uh bar players from entry there was less practice so they were less successful in algs and now all of a sudden you're putting in all this time and effort and you're not getting the right practice that you need so you go into algs you get your butt whooped and then now what is it worth it right the passion's gone like this is frustrating it's not worth it i can't get into the scrims lobby that i want to be in or i got barred from scrims because i said that an admin was being unfair or whatever you know and i mean some of them are justified mm -hmm. i will say there there were people that were really toxic towards the gll staff too um, just, and there were people that were really toxic to us 
frankly, as well, even back in the day. Um, there were people that were just really disrespectful. And, you know, I get it. At a certain point, you have to be able to do something about that, right? You can't just say you can say anything you want, you know? I'd like so, to throw out there that I got quote-unquote permanently banned from GLL for saying that the server was lagging and they should restart the server and find a different um like host location. And I was banned from scrims that day and quote-unquote permanently banned. And if my coach at the time and I didn't have friends in GLL, there was no way that I was going to get unbanned in a, in a timely fashion, right? And I think that kind of ties into what you were saying where it's like, you know, people were literally just getting barred out for, you know, almost no reason. You know, saying a server is lagging and suggesting a server switch is not something that is like toxic or hostile in any way. Well, and again, though, you came from the time before. Yeah. You played in the old scrims where we would switch servers if they were lagging, right? Yeah. I think the thing, too, though, to keep in mind is switching servers on customs. It's easier now, but back then it was more of an ordeal, right? Um, like the person, and I don't know how they run their setup exactly, but whoever was running the scrims would have to completely log out of the game, switch their server, log back into the game, reboot the server. You know what I mean? So it's not like... yeah. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have switched if there was latency issues, but the other thing is, and I think this is where some of the disconnect was too. Um, some of the issues had nothing to do with the server that was being played on as well. I mean, yeah. some of the issues, like especially when customs were first coming out was just a matter of server load and bugs because they were still new and things hadn't been ironed out yet. Right. It was still being right. tested um, and developed further. And even now, I mean, they're always, you know, the, the respawn developers are always working to make improvements, right? Like there's always updates. Like even now, just within the last month, I saw a list of things that might be coming to help um, custom servers out when back when they were crashing, right? After the one patch. Um, so it's like, they're always working on them. They're always looking for improvements. But back then they were so new that there was a lot of, um, stability issues that really had nothing to do with the server host. Ooh. But again, that's, I think, again, I think that comes from the mentality of the people who came before versus after too. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting when you think about it, um, just how much actually changed when that transition happened um, with, not only how things were run, but also like the drop off in number of teams and passion and participants, it kind of all happened in tandem for a while um, to a point where I recall there was a while where scrims couldn't even be filled because there weren't enough teams. And I think that was more frustrating for the old players because right before the first ALGS and we were still doing Q snipes, we had over 100 teams per region per night. Signing up. Yeah, we play. hit like 130 or one point. I think, I think it was I 130 on EU. I, I thought I saw yeah. a screenshot of 150, like 152 teams signed up. And Probably. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot. Well, yeah, and there was a lot of hype. A part of that was the hype again. You know, yeah. the novelty. There was a lot of anticipation for it. People wanted to get involved. And. But. I mean, still going from 150, let's say 130 teams signing up every single night per region to less than 20 is 
a massive difference. It is. But some of that too was also, and I think one of the things kind of, I know we're on this topic of scrims and um, soon to be tournaments too, but with this ALGS announcement, more money being involved, I think is going to bring more people back. Um, one of the things that I think was hurting scrims and hurting tournaments overall was that when you really broke down, and this is not, I want to make it very clear that this is not really directly response fault or EA's fault in any way, shape or form. COVID really screwed up the growth and momentum of tournament play for Apex. Mm -hmm. The timing 100%. could not yeah. possibly have been worse. Literally the very first tournament that was going to be at LAN and then COVID breaks out. It absolutely destroyed the momentum. And that's just not their fault, right? It's just not their fault. Um, the but land. the thing that people don't think about with that, and a lot of people threw blame on Respawn and EA for this, that's unjust and unfair, is that affects sponsorship, right? The, right. the type of money that they can put forward to these events is directly affected by how much attention it's going to get. The marketability of it and lands bring a lot of hype lands bring a lot of eyes you can sell things at a land you can sell products you can push products there and now you're double you're double dipping right because you've got the people that are going the people that are going to watch in person you've got all of the brands that can be displayed in that arena and then also you've got the people watching from home and now you cut that land out of the equation and you've cut down a significant source of marketability um, and that just affected, frankly, their bottom line with how much money they could really justify putting into these online only tournaments um, for quite some time until they started doing the crowdfunding thing with the skins, which I think is a great idea um, to yeah, help inflate the prize pool. But um, at the time, anyways, you know, that, that's all they could do. But that doesn't make it unless you're winning every tournament. It just wasn't worth it for a lot of people that had to work jobs or pay off their student loans or whatever, you know? Um, right. And I think that is a factor that has nothing to do with GLL, nothing to do with us when we were T1, et cetera. That's just an external factor that I think affected participation, right? So there's a lot of things that go into it. But when you think about it, like the the way things looked in scrims before, GLL and after, I think was really heavily impacted by the ability to make money in the game if you were a competitor. Which, and I mean, I'm super excited now because mm -hmm. of the, I guess, not as recent, but the, the monster sponsorship for ALGS, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that, that's a massive partnership. That's pretty that, huge. Uh, yeah. Will, will help out with, I guess, that, that, tournament funding and that you know um ability to i guess promote like monster i mean you know i don't really know if we should talk about this but the <laughs> the the monster partnership coming up in a few days right where you're gonna get like in-game skins and rewards that's been leaked all over twitter blah 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 for like you know getting monster and like it you can go out and purchase a monster and you'll get something in game. It's it's like the yeah. old uh like Mountain Dew Call of Duty partnership where yep. it's like mm -hmm. double XP for an hour if you <laughs> buy a Mountain Dew and it's like it, or... it's kind of the same thing where you get in game skins and rewards for I guess making purchases of monster. Yeah. 
Yeah, you already know uh, I'm going to be buying so much Monster. I'm just saying right now. I mean, I, low-key, I already do. Yeah, so. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> hey, right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that partnership's going to be huge for the competitive scene in general. And I think Lands coming back is just, that's really going to help a lot, too. Lands coming back is huge. Like, I think there's so many people that are just looking forward to Lands. And then just, you know, the scene coming back. And you see yeah. you see new uh, orgs excited too because i mean like noble picked up a team again mm-hmm. uh today we just talked about with uh faro lucas impulsive dream and uh yeah which is which is huge because it's seeing yeah well sort of <laughs> two-thirds <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah it just shows that like you know orgs are starting to get interested in the game again and no it, it's hard yeah, to get exactly. that passion back once it's lost, and I feel like that's an issue with, uh, I guess, a lot of the OG players, the p- people who you know started, and uh, I guess Apex Out Pro or Tier One scrims or any yeah. time we during used that to, period. I used to play an MMO called Eve Online, and we had a term for those people. We used to call them uh, bitter vets because <laughs> yeah. they were the people who were more experienced, older to the scene, but they were just angry about everything. That's <laughs> That's very accurate, actually. I yeah, mean, we used to call them. We called them bitter vets. It's it's scary how accurate that is for a lot of these players, and that's something well, I think that like new players or, or casual players will never understand is like why we're so bitter about that type of stuff. You know, I think there's yeah. layers to that too. I mean, at the very top end, the more people allowed in uh, up until, of course, this point where now competitive has more funding, but when competitive had very little funding, if you were going to make it, you had to win or come in second or come in third all the time. So the more people yeah, you coming be, in, you had to beat TSM basically. Yeah. And so the more people coming in, unless you were a content creator, that was pretty much the only way to guarantee that you were going to make money. Um, Cause yeah. otherwise it's just, do you win the tournament or not? Right. And so more people coming in, more competitors directly affected their wallet. Right. So I think there's yeah. kind of there's there's a reason for that bitterness a little bit too. It's not just a game. It was literally their livelihood. Yeah. Um in some cases. There's people that dropped everything to try to go pro. Um and the game, unfortunately, because of the timing of COVID, this it had a hard time recovering from that. But I think also I know this was, I, I know I'm not a host, but I just noticed that this is one of our topics too. And it ties totally into this and, it, you know, getting codes, um, codes being restricted for the longest time to only GLL um, or specific tournament hosts was a factor too. Um, it's easier now, but at the time you either had to be GLL or you had to be somebody that was hosting a big enough size tournament to get access to a code. I think well, you had to be a well-known content creator with a big right? enough clout. Well, yeah. yes and no. Yeah. I, I think that I remember seeing that like hard number somewhere that was like, if you hosted a tournament for this amount of money or more, we can potentially set you up with private codes. Yeah. And, uh, that was the hard and set rule, but it was never fully enforced. Yeah. As far as I understand. Yeah. And that that's, there's kind of two different things too. the partnership program. It's different. And I think a lot of people don't know this too. Um, 
but there's actually two different teams that deal with that, right? You've got the community side and you've got the competitive side. So the community side, and a lot of competitors got mad about this, and I'm not going to name names, and I know you both know who I'm talking about, but somebody <laughs> got codes that didn't really play Apex that much and wasn't very skilled. And uh, at the time, anyways, I'm sure they've improved over time as they've played the game more, but at the time they barely played. Um, and they, they definitely play... still play the game 100%. Okay, well, I don't pay attention to that. So, but anyways, <laughs> they they got the codes to play hide and seek with their um, Twitch community, and a lot of competitors were really frustrated. I mean, I was pissed at that. I was too, honestly. I remember, I remember I was going so mad. My heart I just opened like... a can of worms. Um... <laughs> yeah, you did. Honestly, but I was for I mean, real. I was so mad. I still am a little mad when I think about it. At the like time. that's the thing it's two different teams right and that's where i was going with this people don't realize that the people that gave codes to that person for that event was specifically from the community side and it's for advertisement for apex right because well yeah but that's marketability but sure sure but the thing is is it was different they never stated that they never made sure people understood that and that's their fault i feel like the communication barrier right there is something that is a necessity that they didn't have where it's like they still don't have okay sorry <laughs> i no i agree but like uh, hot take hot take are but, you asking <laughs> uh i mean it's something that it's like they don't need to tell us everything they're doing right i completely understand like you know we don't need to know everything but when it comes down to i guess competitive players being forced to use one singular hosting website and then seeing somebody that you know creates content getting codes to play hide and seek is very aggravating because it's like mm -hmm. you're telling me your professional scene can't get reliable scrims but you know somebody who doesn't even play the game can be like all right guys i want to you know get 59 people of my viewers and we're gonna play hide and seek and it's like that's what yeah with no communication, it's hard to justify not being mad at that. I, I can from see a it from a competitive standpoint yeah. because I was a competitor when that happened. Um, and I, I totally understand the frustration. But I think what people aren't being fair about when it comes to Respawn and EA in this particular case is this literally happens everywhere, even in real sports, all the time. Even in the film industry, right? This stuff happens everywhere and for some reason respawn and ea were held to a different standard when that happened right and i think it was just general frustration with when scrims transferred yeah, over yeah. and um it was a jarring experience for a lot of veterans but if you look like think about when you have a celebrity come play a professional sport for funsies yeah. They're obviously not a pro. It's a show match, right? Yeah. And vice versa. You might have a... Or like a first pitch of a game type deal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. That's perfect example. Um, or you might have an athlete that stars in a movie, and they're obviously not an actor, and they're not maybe not even a good actor. They're just there because of who they are, right? That's marketability. Now people are going to go see that movie because, you know, that athlete... Their favorite it. athlete is a Exactly, like, and that's and I that get it logically everywhere. I mean, in every game. I mean, Fortnite. I Look mean, I, Fortnite. They've got musicians yeah. coming yeah, in, concerts, concert and all that stuff. Yeah, the most yeah, like, and all that. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
it literally happens everywhere all the time. It's all about marketing and sponsorship at that point. How much money is it going to make? How much yeah. revenue is it going to make? So I think, like, I understand why the players are frustrated. It maybe could have been communicated a little bit better, but at the same token, I think it was really unfair to hold Respawn and EA so accountable for that when everybody else does it all the time too, everywhere in the world for um, everything. I I mean, I kind of agree, but I kind of don't agree because that's like saying that, um, I don't know, let's just say... Rihanna, whatever, saying that she would get a whole team to con- compete in like the Super Bowl. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like she's, no. it's like getting the opportunity. It is. It's getting an opportunity that people have been asking for. No, but it's different though because you're talking about two different things, right? Her, uh, the the person that I'm very specifically avoiding names on, uh, who did that, wasn't trying to get custom codes to compete in the ALGS, right? You're right, but there are also competitors with decent followings that were asking for codes to do tournaments. Right, but at the time, yeah, there was no rule set yet. It, remember, custom codes were still new. They were still No, I, I'm aware. I'm aware. The issue, I just don't think it was of them. And like, I, I don't think that it is a different standard. I think this is a different situation. I can I kind of agree with both sides here, and I want to keep this topic short because it has been an hour and twenty already. But yeah. <laughs> but what I want to say is like I I agree to the point of yes, it's marketing. Yes, I understand Apex wanted marketing. Person with a following came in and said, "Hey, can we do this event? Sure, whatever." Blah blah blah. But what I think, um, like the massive issue with Apex was, is kind of like Mari was saying is. It was in that transition period where all the original, you know, scrim people were almost overnight, um, like forced to completely switch the way they they've been scrimming for months and and kind of overnight just accept that and deal with it. And then, you know, right after that happens, we see, you know, now these custom codes that we can only get through GLL and we can only scrim through GLL are now being given out to people to play hide and seek. And I think that is where like, um, at least from my uh, opinion is, is where the issue was. It's not that, you know, this happens everywhere. I think it was since it was in that transition period and there was so much tension and I guess aggressiveness, uh, either towards GLL or with GLL that it was very aggravating to, you know, just have to deal with it. Just have to sleep with it. And yeah, and I yeah, think communication I could have gone a long way there. Frankly, communication uh, could have gone a long way. But the same token, that's also their business, and it's not yeah. our right to know their business. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, I, I see it from a business perspective too. It, it was just the timing was rough. Tensions were already high. It is what it is. But the good news is, and getting back on topic to get these last two things buttoned up quicker because it has been an hour twenty. Um, now the process for getting codes is a lot easier, um, you know, and that doesn't have to be a, a, a worry anymore for people getting into the game. Now, um, there's a community tournament guideline webpage, which I'm sure we can get somebody to link somewhere, wherever the editor is, put it, put it over here, uh, or, down, or in the description, or down, down here or something, down go. in the description, there yeah. you go, um, 
And at the we'll bottom, also have the, the LGS. We'll also have the LGS description. Yeah. yeah, the announcement for LGS blog and all that stuff will be linked down below as well. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there's and that link for the community tournament guidelines. There's also an email at the bottom, and that email is where you just send in anybody. Literally anybody can send an email and say, "Hey, I want to run an event." Now, not not necessarily everyone's going to get approved, right? You have to have something that's worth running, whether that's going to bring attention, whether it's good for the community, whether it's you know a charity thing, whatever the case may be. But it's not restricted like it was before, where only very specific people could get access to them. You know, right. um, there's a bit of a turnaround time on it too. But for people that want to host long term. Um, for people that want to host long-term, there's also a hub for tournament organizers. And that's got a little bit more um, Exclusivity quick. quick well, it's got, yeah, it's a little bit more exclusive for people that have been established. Like we're in there with other bigger hosts like Nerd Street, Realm, et cetera. Um, people that yeah, have been and it's, it's more of like, uh, it's more of like a scheduling and organization hub than anything else. It's like making sure that scrims don't overlap with each other and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's also a little bit, uh, you know, you might get quicker access to information that way, too, because you're all right. in there communicating together, right? So there's a little bit less of a wait for established people like that. But for, for for the average person, like just going through that email is the way to do it. And they're the guys that run it. Um, I, you know, I work with one closely and I'll just give him a shout out. Somebody buy Joseph some pizza. He's awesome. He's For real. super helpful. <laughs> yes. Um, he responds timely. He's such a nice guy. Um, and I know he loves pizza. So somebody needs to buy that man some pizza. I will happily Look, do it when I have the means. I'm not playing uh, favors, but he might be my favorite reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, now the process is so simple. As long as you're following those guidelines and you go through that email and you've got something that's a real tournament, you know, you're you're in it's it's really that easy um which allows for a lot more smaller tournaments to take place and um you know we actually recently picked up hosting uh on behalf of a creator um who's been doing various things sometimes they're themed things like rank limits so that it's not too sweaty for people who want to just get into competitive for the first time or Or old meta tournaments. Yeah. Old meta, like the, the throwback Watson path uh, Wraith Wraith, um, tournament. And she's got other ideas coming too. Um, You know, so like we recently picked up hosting that for example. And I think that um, hosting these tournaments and on the back end, first and foremost for anyone that wants to get into hosting tournaments just understand that it's a lot more in depth and a lot more work than you probably think it is um there there are a lot of moving parts to get 60 players minimum right because you're talking about that's just a single lobby 60 players all in the same spot on the same time following the same rule set and doing it correctly so that things move smoothly and then you got to keep things moving forward on your end. The back end of hosting a tournament is you've got all the codes to manage. Um, you've got the admin code, which starts the lobby, and then you've got the player code that the players receive. So you've got to manage those, make sure it's all right, make sure you don't leak it, make sure nobody else leaks it. 
Um, then you got to think about how you're going to keep track of scores, how you're going to display those scores. Do you have an observer? Do you have a casting team? Do you have production? Those are all layers that go into it as well. Advertising and marketing your event, you know, or is this going to be promoted through Discord, through Twitter, through a website? Um, is it going to be streamed on a streaming service like Twitch or YouTube? Um, sponsorship. Do you want there to be a prize pool? Do you need sponsors for that? You've got to talk about at that point, what type of impressions you're going to get from the event? What, how marketable is the event? Why does a sponsor want to give you money? Right. Do you have high tier pro players? That's going to attract attention. Do you not? Then why do, why do they want to give you money? You know? So you've got to look at your viewership analytics. Um, so for somebody that just wants to do something casual, like, the, the thing that we've picked up, you know, for um, Sarah is the one that, uh, you know, has been running them. She um, wants to do something to just get like up and coming streamers and people that want to dip their feet into competitive for the first time. It's like a place for them. And uh, which is something we're passionate about, too, is just getting more people involved and see more growth out of players, which is why we picked it up. Um, that you don't have to worry too much right? That's pretty straightforward. You're just scorekeeping. You're just hosting at that point. Um, captain slots, sign-up sheets, that sort of thing. But for people that want to do anything bigger and you get money involved, then you got to start thinking about payouts too. And I think uh, a lot of people may not think about this when they're thinking about payouts, but there are regions where gambling is prohibited and competitive gameplay is considered gambling. Um, so there's, I think, for a while, I don't know if it's still the case, but there are portions of Canada, um, like certain regions in Canada that have restrictions. Certain countries have gambling restrictions that will prevent you from playing. I know there was a reason uh, a while ago in ALGS, one of the top teams wasn't able to compete, actually, because one of their players was from a country that had gambling laws that conflicted with EA's rule set. Um, so those are all things that you kind of got to keep in mind. But for the people that can pull it off, for hosts like us, for hosts like Nerd Street, for hosts like uh, Revival Games and Chicken Coop and Crown Series, um, you know, uh, it's giving players a, a way to get in that they may not have had before. Because ALGS, it only happens so often. And when it does, Players that are just trying to start competing for the first time, you are absolutely getting slapped down by the alpha team in every lobby, right? If TSM's in your lobby and you just started, are you You're even really going to get to play? Just you know? away. You know? You're going to be sitting there like looting up, uh, let's say, refinery or something. Not refinery, uh, sorting factory. And they're going to pull up mid-rotation three minutes into the match and wipe you with white armor in a P20. You know what I mean? That's just that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. And, I hate to cut it off, but I know we could go on forever about but, this. So I'm just gonna Yeah. Kind of try to pull the plug you right after you finish your thought. Yeah. So I guess what I was saying is these small tournaments, um, they really have a role to play in allowing up and coming players to get involved with competitive Apex. And kind of a, a last thought topic that or kind of a last thought is like you know, a lot of these bigger teams, these tier one teams that do end up signing up for these small tournaments, they they don't take it that serious. And they kind of, 
I guess just stomp. You know what I mean? They they just use the pure raw power of skill to just kind of run through it, and I, I think that's mm-hmm. almost an issue with um some of these tournaments. Well, that's where putting rank limits in, or you're not allowed to have professional on your team limits in. You know, like you can yeah. kind of reverse gatekeep a little bit and say this is meant yeah, for like one pro per team or something max. Yeah, so there are ways around that, and I know there are a lot of tournament hosts like Sarah, like some of the stuff that we're working on um, that do that. And, you know, all these small tournaments can serve a different purpose. Like some of what Crown is doing is more catered towards Tier 2 players. Um, It's very much a Tier 2 scrim, basically. Yeah, and that's good too. That's healthy. Um, That allows people to start getting that bridge again to becoming a pro and some of the other smaller ones are more for tier three and under that just want to say, I'd like to try a tournament once and see what it's like. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they don't have to feel yeah. bad about it. Um, right. So I think those are, there's a lot of good opportunities and some of them too. There's a lot of stuff like I know his and hers is hosting uh, ladies, ladies scrims, um, which might be getting a lot of women involved that may not have participated at all before. Let's go. Um, so, or not feel comfortable participating, which is another big issue. Well, it gives that safe space that we, you know, yeah. we've seen in the past. Yeah, and it's absolutely so. right. It's, and I know this is way off topic, but it's kind of not because it's on the topic of that tournament. But, you know, I think a lot of people just don't really understand the level of harassment and disgusting remarks. Sorry, not sorry shit that women yeah. just have to deal with when they're playing a game. I mean, just dropping in a pub, if they hot mic one time and there's some toxic kid on the other side, you know, I, it's just using Sarah as an example, because we were just talking about her. She just posted a tweet about oh yeah, someone telling her to get back in the kitchen and make her a sandwich just because she opened her mouth one time. And, you know, these, these people are just, the, the comments are disgusting, um, immature, inappropriate, they really have no place in gaming, but it happens, right? And so I think having these specialty small tournaments, like something for women, like something for people of color, um, it really gives people that might be afraid to uh, branch out and try these things a place to do that. And I mean, something that I'm going to say is like Janie, for example, right? She's mm-hmm. now signed to TSM. Janie was probably one of the best teammates I've had. And that's, it it just shows that like, there's so much untapped potential in, I guess, these people who aren't, you know, male or not white male in the, in the gaming industry. Right. Where it's like, there's so much potential that just hasn't been touched because of one, one thing or another. And it really shows that, you know, you could yeah, find, I completely find agree. God players anyway. Yeah, I just had a conversation with um, a couple of women the other night that are content creators, and they're not small. These are like one of them's partnered on Twitch. You know what I mean? But they told me like I just won't solo queue because I don't want to deal with it. I yeah. will not play by myself. I will only play with people I know. I'll only play with a teammate, and it just shouldn't be like that. You know exactly. Yeah, it just shouldn't be like that. It's gatekeeping them. Um, on and it's unfair. And uh, the reality is, not on, it's bad for all of the obvious reasons that it's bad, right? But it's also limiting the scene. It's limiting the growth of the scene as a whole. 
you're missing out on opportunities. Like you said, Janie is cracked. She is absolutely nuts. A phenomenal player. And I know a lot of women yeah, that are yeah. really skilled. Yeah. I actually got a chance to play with Yusakis in a tournament just recently. We ended up winning. And it was a small, just a small tournament. But like, she's insane. And I had never heard of her until now, which maybe is my fault. Lutziana is another one but, uh, that we saw in Chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sally, Sally Nono, I think her name is. Mm-hmm is also insane. And it's like all of these women players who are just crazy at the game either are uncomfortable playing in a setting with where they will get harassed, which totally fair. I would be too. Or they just haven't had an opportunity because of the way that the majority of the male players handle finding teams and how kind of like clicky it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's, you know, so these small tournaments can give space for people to grow in the scene. And I think that's a really good thing. I mean, you really anyone who's underprivileged, whether it's people of color, women, uh, LGBTQ, you know, it's it's a place for a lot of people that may not have an opportunity otherwise to get a start. And uh, right. It, and it's good for their their content as well. You know, how many content yeah, creators, big content creators say, I'm streaming this tournament. Well, now they have a tournament that they can stream too, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a pretty good place to wrap it up. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts or comments or anything like that? Um, I just wanted to thank you for agreeing to come on the show with us mario it's been a pleasure listening to all your viewpoints and these things oh yeah i really appreciate you guys having me um thanks for giving me the chance to come on and be a part of what you guys have going on here i love what you guys are doing i think uh, these podcasts are really healthy for any scene you know so i think it's really cool to get some perspective out there and um, what you guys are doing is awesome appreciate that yep thank you thank for coming you mari um i will say that we will leave a a link to battle court in the description uh, of this video. So if you guys are looking for a place to, I guess, find future teammates or find people to rank with, go ahead and go down there, click that link. Um, I also think we should, uh, yeah, we we, can tournament information. We should also leave links to some streamers that we talked about on the podcast as well. Oh yeah. Uh, For Um, whoever the editor is down below, we can get some links to people that we've talked about. That would be, that would be nice. In order of appearance, if if possible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think this is a great episode. It is a long one, though. It is is almost an hour and 40. This is almost uh, enough for two podcasts. It's the longest one, one, yeah. We can probably, there's probably a little bit of trim. Trimming we'll that see, could we'll be done see. in a certain section of that that I think we're all thinking about, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I think it was a good episode. Uh, hopefully, everybody in the viewer standpoint enjoyed. Um, this has been the final ring. Zoro Kualamari. We'll catch you guys later. Peace.